This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with University of Utah football star Solomon Enos. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, University of Utah football star Solomon Enos, the extraordinary star receiver who is all everything at North Canyon High School in Arizona, member of the state champion 4x400 relay track team, four-star recruit and the number two national recruit in Arizona, who incidentally loves to ride and record music, go camping, wheeling, and stream video games, shares his life off the field, raised in an amazing family atmosphere with his three brothers, and influenced by his father, who was an All-American at Penn State and played in the NFL, giving us an inside glimpse into what it takes to be an elite athlete, a four-year Pac-12 academic honor roll student who has already graduated in an undergrad degree, working on his MBA, and the mindset preparation and heart set focus required to be a big-time player who makes big plays in big games. This podcast episode is brought to you by our beloved University of Utah. So without any further ado, you've listened to the formal introduction that gives all the stats of him from North Canyon High School and being this superstar in high school. But I really want to get to the heart and soul of why in the world you would leave 90-degree Arizona weather to come to the University of Utah and the beautiful Rocky Mountains where there's a chance that any morning you could wake up and there's some white stuff on the sidewalk and there's white stuff on the field and it's snowing with a cold breeze over your shoulder and yet you chose Utah over your other opportunities. Welcome to the show, Solomon Enos. Thank you for having me. And um, before I get started, wow, that was impressive. I cannot follow up that intro. I'll let you know now. But uh, to answer that question, I'll give you two things. One, Utah. It's right, it's near my home, Arizona. And two, the biggest thing when I was deciding what school I wanted to come to, the weather wasn't going to be a factor because let's say, for example, I wanted to get drafted to or I got drafted by the Green Bay Packers or the Minnesota Vikings or the Patriots. You're still going to have to show up and play whether it's snow, wind, rain. So you might as well get used to it now, and it's definitely paid off. Absolutely. And you being one of the elite receivers, not just in the Pac-12, but in the country, based on your size, your speed, your athleticism, your leaping ability, on paper you have all the stats to be a number one pick. So what's the difference between skill and heart? What would you recruit? What would you draft more, skill or heart? Because in my mind, if you come for money, you'll leave for money, and that doesn't create any loyalty. So when you come to the table with this brilliant brain, this, this, this sense of education and preparation, and you apply that to the field, I want to know, and I'm sure everybody else wants to know, when you're coaching or when you're in a position to influence the decisions of young men coming to a football program, would you go after character, would you go after heart, or would you go after skill? Well, how about this? How about I rank them? So I'm going to definitely put character as number one. Well, I can't even rank them. 
I would I would go for all three, but character and heart is the biggest thing for me because that's how I that's what I think I pride myself on, and especially with any type of sport that you're playing, you have to love the game before you love everything else that comes with it, and uh, you know, character and heart that's going to take you a long way in life. If your skill is just that sport that you're playing, for example, football, football is not your whole life. You got to have character and heart your whole life, and it's going to open doors and pay off in those situations where you need it. So if I'm a coach and I'm confident in my skill set to help teach the kid that I'm recruiting, I'm picking character and heart over skill. Absolutely. And when we're one of the elite programs in the country and in the Pac-12, there's no reason why we should settle for just two out of three or one out of three. And maybe that's why they, they highly recruited you and a couple of your teammates who have the same level of character and class and sophisticated elegance that you bring to the party. Yes, sir, definitely. So... Um, who else recruited you coming out of high school? Oh, that was... That was 19 years ago. He's, yeah. a, he's a 27-year senior, ladies and gentlemen. He looks so good for being 41 years old. It's so good to have you on the program, oh, my thank friend. you. I appreciate it. No, but, uh, man, 2018 when I graduated, it feels like a long time ago. But I had most of the Pac-12 schools, a couple SEC schools. Um, I had Penn State, my dad's alma mater. Mm-hmm. Um that was pretty much it. I mean, I had a little bit over 15, um, but I was grateful for every single one of them. Did they recruit you to play a different position, or were you always hell-bent on being a receiver? That's funny because I was always – well, at first I was getting recruited as a safety playing defense. Yep. And then that's when, like, they were like, okay, I think you should play receiver your junior year of high school. And then once that happened, that's when everything took off and started rolling. Did you go to any camps to prepare yourself to, ex- to, to increase your exposure as a high school athlete to get recruited by more schools? I did go to a couple. I believe I went to a U of A camp. Um, and then the other camps I went to, I went to, like, the big, like the big name, um, like the Nike, like the opening I went to. I went to a couple of Under Armour camps, a couple of Adidas camps. Um, you know, it just when I was growing up, money wasn't always – it was tight for us to go travel and hit all these camps. So I had to pinpoint which ones were going to be the most beneficial for me. So I did do a couple local college camps because they had other college coaches come. But I, my dream was always trying to go to these big camps like the opening. And, you know, I was blessed enough to be there and be around those other individuals, other players. And it was a great learning experience. But I didn't really do too much of the cross-country camp circuit. You know, I know you've been asked this so many times because you're so over-the-top intelligent working on your MBA. Um the sad statistic is about 78% of professional football players go bankrupt by within three and a half years after, after retirement. And we know one of the major causes of that is a divorce where they split it 50-50, and that's just an ugly truth of all society, not just football players. But with that statistic in mind and your brilliance in the business world and getting your, your MBA, do you, do you see... Uh, a business do you see starting anything while you're playing football using that fame using that platform that would carry on into the future I definitely hope so I think that's why with you know NIL coming out and being it being so beneficial making those relationships building those connections to help you down the road and uh, you know when you say these uh, any type of professional athlete when they go bankrupt it's either the people that they have around them the connections that they have not knowing how to grow their money without really working It's those little things that really can add up later on down the road. Not that moment, but down the road. So, you know, praying to be successful, I definitely want to start building things, 
creating things and definitely give back because to keep that cycle going, you have to give back. There's no way you can think you did it all by yourself the whole way through and not believe people were there to help you throughout. So, you know, reaching out to shelters, reaching out, helping kids or, you know, different types of families that need it. Um, I think that pays more beneficial than just the monetary value. So there's definitely ways to grow your capital and, you know, invest in yourself, invest in your brand, but there's also ways to give back that can make you more successful as well. I love it. Growing up, my dad always told me to identify the thoroughbreds of my generation and keep in touch. Mm -hmm. So even though I played against McMahon, we've remained friends. Even though I played against some folks from other teams, I knew they were going to make it big time. And so, you know, you snuggle up before they, <laughs> they, they get their first big paycheck. Who at Utah have you, have you uh, struck up a, a great, real deep friendship with that you'll keep in touch with forever? Yeah, so, you know, Utah, what's so great about our program is that it's like a family already, even if a guy makes it to league first round draft pick like Devin Lloyd or, you know, people, some kids that don't want to play anymore. It's just the reality. We all stay so connected. Um, so someone I can get, for example, is Devon Vele. I think he's going to be a, you know, he, he's going to be a one hit wonder. He's going to be that guy. And, you know, from this, the past two years, just building that relationship with him and uh, grinding day in, day out of practice. And then him showing up during the games and, you know, making those highlight plays and just how he is as a person is, I think that's why we've grown so close because we're so similar in, you know, our personalities and our character. So I definitely see him as being one of my most successful friends. Yes, I have other friends that are successful now, this, that, and the other. But as of this moment right now, I mean, I can name Cam Rising, Dalton Kincaid. There's not really one specific person, but I can name Devon Bailey for sure. So if you were going to go on tape, on film, as a, the recruiting voice of Utah football, what would you say to – young men anywhere in the country. And we all know that you recruit the kid and you retain the mom. <laughs> we got to get the mom to sign off. I love this coach. He's honest. I know he's going to take care of my little baby boy. I mean, I had that whole experience. I shocked the world when I signed with Utah, but it was because of my mom. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to these young men and their families, especially their mom, of why they should come to Utah, the culture, the family experience, the caring community. We really care about you guys, you know. And it's good to see you without your helmet on. <laughs> but everybody in our section on the 50-yard line absolutely loves you and admires you because of the reputation you bring to the table. You're exactly the same off stage as you are on stage. You love to practice. How cool is that? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I appreciate you saying all <laughs> those, those great things. Um, you know, it's just I feel like Utah – when, when a coach should sell Utah, it should always be just a family atmosphere because you're with those guys in that locker room every single day doing – I mean, everyone knows how tough our program is. And sure, you don't want to sell to a recruit that college football is tough and it's going to be – there's going to be adversity that you have to overcome, but that's just the reality of it. If you want to be the best, if you want to be the, the greatest at what you're doing, that's what it's going to have to take. So, you know, our coaches are one of the best developing coaches in the country, hands down. They take guys and turn them into just beasts. And uh, along with the, bro the brotherhood that we have in that locker room, because at the end of the day, when stuff goes south, you have to lean on each other. So I think that just builds the camaraderie even more. And that's what builds those lifelong friendships that we've all heard. Your friends from college are going to be at your weddings. And de Utah is the definition of that. And, uh, you know, along with the success we've been having recently, it's only up from here, in my opinion. So um, I think that's the biggest pitch. I mean, the proof that numbers don't lie, it's all on paper. So. There's no fantasies. There's no this, that, and the other. It's 
when you come to Utah, it's what you get, and what they say is true. And turning a, a, a kid into a man, mm-hmm. you know, um, being the 47th ranked wide receiver in the country, the second highest ranked four, four-star recruit coming out of Arizona, congratulations. Thank you. But Witt's famous for taking three-star recruits and turning them into four and taking four-star recruits and turning them into five. And that has to do with what you're talking about then, character, family, brotherhood, more than football. You know, we care about your family. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. I think coming here, I've, I've grown so much from being 18 years old to when I stepped foot on campus to now being 22. I feel like I've just looking back, it's like I was a whole other person when I came into the program. And, you know, with the success that we've had, winning championships, winning games, going to bowl games, I mean, there, there's no other way I'd rather have it. You know, I'd rather – face the adversity and lean on people I can I can count on and grow as a person and, you know, really take life head on and, you know, understanding what life is and how to persevere through those sticky situations and, you know, and having fun while doing it while playing a sport I love. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by our beloved University of Utah, creators of champion athletes, champion students who are well-known across our country, across our world. Thank you so much for your unconditional support of student-athletes at the University of Utah. So, you know, having a chance to interview so many of the top youths, such as yourself, I haven't asked anyone the question about um, dealing with the loss of 22-22, and you've been around for five years. This is your fifth year. Uh, Because this goes in perpetuity, this, uh, this interview will be on the Internet forever. Your grandkids will listen to it. And uh, take us back, those who aren't familiar with Utah football, take us back to just not the minute details, but what happened with our, 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 our two amazing young men, 22-22, and uh, what happened as a team, what did the coaches do? You're uh, obviously a leader on the, on the team, an older statesman, which has nothing to do with qualifications, making you a leader. You know, obviously, you lead with and without the C on the on the jersey. Just take us back to those two tragedies back to back, and what you had to do as a team to come together. And that's when you really realized the true family and brotherhood more than just teammates. You were in in the in the ditches and the in the in the pain together. Yeah, I mean. It was tough, and it, it's still tough. It, it never goes away. Um, 2020 season, um, I believe it was Christmas Day when it happened. Uh, I woke up to f- my phone being blown up, my parents calling me, and I, j- I just couldn't believe it. It was just like it just didn't feel real because we were just coming off the win of Washington State, the last game of the COVID season. And the biggest thing to me was, yeah, they were both great football players, but – Ty and Aaron Lowe, man, they were great people off the field. And, um, you know, with Aaron Lowe and last year and how that all played out, that whole situation, man, it's just – it just hits different because they're more than just players on the field. It was, you know, their souls were so much greater than the vessel of the body that they were in, you know. And especially when – so when Ty left us, it was was tough. The team, even though we were all – home or doing whatever for Christmas, we all were, you know, just checking up on each other and just making sure everyone's okay. And when we got back, you know, the coaches and everyone handled it the right way. I think there's no other way 
to praise and honor those both of them, those young men, the way that the program and how the coaches responded to doing it. Um, but yeah, it just they were such good football players, but man, their souls were so pure and just full of life. And you just, you know, when they're gone, you just feel the presence gone. They're always going to be there, but man, you just, you would love to see, you know, them walking around or being a part of what our mission to be, you know, Pac-12 champs again, or go, trying to push to the college football playoff. You know, you just wish they were here with us. They're always going to be with us, but man, you just, you, you, you feel it when they left. And um, it's, it's good to know that they're still around though. Yeah, both of these young men lost their lives, tragic accidents. And um, one of the coolest things for me, in, in our section 50-yard line of the stadium, is to see the impact that that short little video has on the opposing team when we're playing at home. Because that takes the focus off the scoreboard and... It was really cool to see a handful of USC players watching the video and standing and clapping as we all did as we made that shout, that cheer in honor of the, of the guys. So in, I know I'm emotional. I was seriously hurt playing, playing ball in, in my career. And every single time I see anything like that on the field, it reminds us that when you see an elite athlete like you, Solomon, competing at the highest level, you see much more than muscle and bone going through motion. You see heart. You see sacrifice. You see work ethic. But you see all that time invested in each other, you know, validating that when the water in the lake goes up, all the boats rise together and football will end. I'm so old, I've been over to pull up my socks and I think, what else can I accomplish while I'm way down here? <laughs> So eventually our bodies do let us down, but the heart and the soul and the spirit will never die. And I think that's just such a tribute to Coach Whittingham, a tribute to all of you leaders, especially someone like you who's been through it all. And uh, so we thank you from the fans. We thank you for stepping it up and just coming up with a consolidated way to honor the men inside the uniform, not just the score on the board. Yeah, and just to piggyback off that that video, I just think what gets me emotional and just while I'm watching it on the field, it really just separates, like you said, because you get so caught up in the game and the flow of the game. But when you watch it, it's like we're all here watching a sport that man created, and we're all a part of it, rather if you're playing or watching or coaching. Everyone is a crucial part to this, and it's way more than just football itself, especially when they started including more of the fans – like the true great friends, the fans that passed away, you know, it's just bigger than football. You know, football yeah. is a great sport. Everyone loves it. It's just, man, at the end of the day, it's just people that love a sport, love it. It just brings us – it's it's community-based. It just brings everyone together and just creates so much love and passion for one another. And sometimes we can get lost in football, but that video definitely brings us back to ground level. So do you think at home that that gives us the competitive advantage, just that shot in the arm – you know, my little finger, and I used to return kickoffs and punts, apparently not real good at yeah, I'm with the ball. But suddenly the S-curve and the blood on your pants goes away when you're just looking at that video. Does that revitalize the team into the fourth quarter? Do you think that's a competitive advantage that we have at home? Definitely. I think even when we're on the road, just that fourth quarter, knowing that we got to win the fourth quarter and just thinking of, you know, Alo and Ty and all the fans that's passed or – 
people that are with us today, it brings us all together just in the sense of we're here at this point. We can't change nothing that's happened in the past. All we can do is give our all this last 15 minutes that we have together on this field, on this play tonight, on this evening or wherever we're playing. And we'll, whatever happens, happens. We'll figure it out the next day. But nobody's leaving off, off, leaving this field without giving it, giving it their all. And I think that's kind of the edge that we get, not necessarily the edge against the team or the opposing team, but it's the competitive edge that we have within ourselves, holding each other accountable and leaning on each other to get the job done for one another. Absolutely. So I've interviewed interviewed so many of the top pro coaches, NFL coaches, and collegiate coaches, and they'll all agree that winning or losing a football game boils down to only six plays. Have you ever heard that? Yes, and Coach Witt always says that nowadays you only get about ten drives in college football. So well, you're six plays and ten drives. Yeah, if you're, if you're 60 to 70 plays, offense and defense, and you have the average play takes five seconds and you have 25 seconds in between each play to get your mind right, to forget about the pass you dropped or the play you just scored on and get your emotions back in check like here's another chance to catch another one. How do you control those emotions? Because you seem to be so level-headed. I watch when you score a touchdown, you kind of do this little, you know, you know, if you had a polo shirt on, you'd make the little horsey gallop, and then, yeah. and then you get on with the program. But it's it's almost like you celebrate, and then you're back on even keel. How do you control your emotions? How do you get up for the play when you know that you're going to be blocking or it's going away from you? It's a sweep. It's a... You know, it's a sweep around the right side, and you're in the slot on the left side, and you know that it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. But you always – I watch you, man. I watch you a lot, and you don't take a playoff. So how do you how do you stay so focused and so even-keeled, no matter where you're going or if your number's called or not? I think it's just putting the team above yourself in that given moment. I think when the team does good, that brings success for yourself. Not necessarily saying that I do that, but I would rather – not that I would rather. I love seeing my teammates score. Like, if I help create a block that makes my teammates score, going back on film to watch that play develop and being a part of it, I'm not necessarily dancing in the end zone or handing the ball to the ref, but seeing everybody go down down the field and just jump in the end zone with one another, man, if, if you don't love football and that doesn't get you fired up, then you're in the wrong sport. I remember interviewing Magic Johnson, Showtime Lakers. And I said, you know, you're 6'9", and you're a point guard. When did that start? And he said, as soon as my dad, as a young man, convinced me that it was just as cool to make a pass as it was to make a shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying. If you, you know your role on that play, and, yes, you're wide open so many times, and I'm like, throw it to yes, throw it to 21, throw it to 21. And they, you know, Rising tries to cram it into triple coverage, and, you know, we don't pick up the first down. I'm like, come on, man. So I'm thinking about changing the color of your jersey, maybe getting a little flag that you just stick on the top of your <laughs> if your shoulder pad, and you're running down. Just it's like, you know, at the, the wind. at the back of a four-wheeler yeah. just to get your attention. Mm-hmm. So let's just shift personally. Um, what's your favorite kind of music tied into what's your routine to get ready for a game? And I've used Michael Phelps as the example, you know, Olympic swimmer, and he's got his headphones on, and he's jamming before he jumps in the pool to break a world's record. Is there some music, is there some routine that you that you go to before the game that just gets you fired up and tuned up? I mean, I am. I think I'm all over the place when it comes to music. I listen to rap, country, a little bit of rock. I'm all over the place. It depends on the mood. 
So when I need to get that juice going, I play more upbeat, like more in-your-face type deal. But there's sometimes I can get a little bit too hyped up. So then I simmer myself down a little bit of country or a little bit slower stuff. But, you know, I'm kind of like that. I kind of got the headphones on. I'm not really talking much because, uh, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to play this game. And I take it very seriously. You know, I, I prepare very seriously. And that's just how the whole team is. That's the whole team, I think, is that kind of mantra and that that vibe you get on game days. Everyone's locked in, but, man, when it's time to turn up and have fun, they ain't turning us down at that point. I love it. How about your favorite food? Favorite food, man. I'm going to have to – obviously, mom's cooking. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> I'll name a couple. Lasagna, mac and cheese, collard greens. Man, I could just go on and on. If you <laughs> We could sit here and have a cooking show at this point. <laughs> but, no, nah, my whole family knows how to cook, and my girlfriend knows how to cook, so – and I, I just if you're home alone, what's your default? I mean, mac and cheese. I can even cook that. Come on, baby. If I'm at home alone, there better be leftovers. Cause <laughs> I ain't trying to burn nothing or destroy the kitchen. Uh, but no, I can. You know, I can whip up a little bit of spaghetti or something simple. A little bit of steak, potatoes, rice, mashed potatoes. You know, the good carbs, protein. Get the veggies in there. I learned a little bit from the nutritionist, so I I can make a little dinner or something. That's funny. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have Solomon Enos. When you have a name like that, you got to be a superstar. You have no other choice, man. You just, you, you know, if, you, if you're not running Fofo, nobody can. <laughs> I'm telling you what, Solomon Enos, what a cool name. It's probably Portuguese for stud, muffin, hunk of bird, and love. I don't know. I have to look it up. But if you have one more, one more attempt to get people to appreciate the culture here at University of Utah football, what, what, what would it be? What would, what would you hang your hat on as the number one reason why athletes should come to Utah regardless of the NIL temptation and why they should stay here regardless of the NIL temptation to enter the, the, the uh, transfer portal? I mean, I can name many different reasons. You know, when you come here, you're going to get in the best shape that you've ever been in. You're going to be the best player that you can be. But as I say this, I will caution that what you put in is what you get out. You know, I think a lot of people get the misconception of you play college football, you're, you're given that opportunity. Yeah, you're given that first opportunity, but you got to make the most out of it for what you want out of it. So I would say you're coming to Utah, you're going to be in the best shape, you're going to be the best athlete you can be, you're going to learn the, you're going to learn from the best, one of the best schools in the top, in the country. Um, and just the community, the fan base, just every single Every single part you can think of when it revolves around that football program is the best in the country. Fans, coaches, staff, professors, nutritionists, Jeff Rudy, people up there in, in the in the administration. Um, man, they really facilities and your access to the great outdoors. Oh yeah, I can't forget about that. We gotta we gotta tap into that just really quickly before we end the interview. Man. This podcast episode is brought to you by our beloved University of Utah creators of champion athletes, students, and business professionals in the arts, in the sciences, in the music that populate our country, our world. I wake up every day. I'm, I'm blessed to wake up every day and, and see that sun coming over those mountains because those mountains that we have here, it's just like a painting. And it really puts into perspective how life really is. You know, we get so caught up in our daily routines of driving on asphalt or cement, and we really forget to look up with our heads buried in the ground. So... You know, Utah's a great reminder that, man, life is just so full of just 
it's just great if you just sit back and just take it in for what it is, and it, it can just really, you know, clear your mind and broaden your perspective on everything, whether it's you go to work from 7 to 5 or you're playing football and you have a 14-week season or, you know, you're whatever you got to do. It's just, man, sometimes you just sit back, catch that fresh air, and see the scenery around you. It really brings you down back to earth. So Solomon Enos, I think if I could consolidate being a fan of quotes, I think listening to you, you remind me that if you sit around all day wondering whether or not your glass is half empty or half full, you've missed the point. It's refillable. Mm. That you're taking advantage of this opportunity one day at a time, one play at a time. And with so many guys going down, keep the folks with injuries, with my background injury, you can't afford to take a playoff. And I want to compliment you again and again that as I watch you and a lot of folks in my section, I'll go, okay, this time we're, we're focusing in on 21. Let's see what he does. And so far, you've never let us down, my friend. So far, you've never taken a playoff. And uh, even those t- times when you're, you know, wide open, waving your arms, jumping up and down, and rising throws it to the cheerleader on the fifth row. Uh, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> that was like a joke, Cam. Uh, you still bounce back, and it, you, you – you're not the whining type. You're just the, the team epitome of the team team guy. So I compliment you on that and just know that people notice that about you. It's not just about the stats, catching nine balls or doing this or doing that. It's about just every play and you contributing to the team. I watch you on the sideline when you come off and you compliment people and you give them a high five. And every once in a while you wander down to the defensive side to make sure that they you know, are okay. <laughs> So thanks so much. And if there's a team player who epitomizes team, T-E-A-M, it's not Solomon Enos. What he has done is he's taken that old, overused acronym, T-E-A-M, together, everyone achieves more, to a higher status that Coach Whittingham has instilled in him, obviously, that his parents have instilled in him. What I know about Solomon Enos is he subscribes to F-A-M-I-L-Y, family. Forget about me. I love you. Go Utes. And I predict we're going to be in the Pac-12 championship because of players like Solomon Enos. You're one stud behind Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. It was no, great speaking to you today. such a class young man. Here you go. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.